Content warnings for this episode may include dysphoria, experiences with anti-trans bigotry, mental health, ableism, religion, anti-blackness, police violence, and being misgendered. Jennifer would like to acknowledge the indigenous peoples and unceded lands that the producers, hosts, and guests live and have dwelt on. Today, we honor the Coast Salish. The Wichita, Tawakoni, Kickapoo, Humanos, Comanche, Tonkawa, Santa, Levin Apache, and Kwahilitekan. We honor the elders, the human, plant, and animal ancestors of these lands and celebrate the living descendants of these peoples. May all beings tend these lands for the goodness of the next seven generations and beyond. Miati folks, welcome to Genderful, a talk show interviewing gender diverse folks about their special interests. The name of our show celebrates that gender expansiveness is wonderful. Hi, I'm Gender Master, and my pronouns are they, them. Hi, I'm Atlas of Phoenix, and my pronouns are also they, them. The focus of our show is to interview trans, non-binary, agender, and gender-diverse people regarding their special interests, passion projects, and resources for the gender-diverse community. We want our audience to know that this show is hosted by two folks who also identify as non-binary, transmasculine, neurodivergent, and disabled with the passion for telling trans stories. We invite you to remember that we are whole people with robust lives, friendships, challenges, and successes. We love and are loved, and we are delighted to share these stories with you. As always, we kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of their identities. Your identities can change over time and are valid every step of the way. And if you think you're gender diverse, you are gender diverse. There are no social or medical prerequisites to be included in the community. Welcome to Jennerful episode 79. This week, our guest KB Brookins, they them pronouns, is chatting with us about their poetry. They published a book of poems titled How to Identify Yourself with a Wound and have another book that's getting released very soon here in April of 2023 titled Freedom House. The pre-order link for that is actually in our guest command today and it'll be in the show notes. And if you use the specific link that we're sending you, you can get 20% off of that book, which is very exciting. Um, our pre-show Wrangler Juice got to see KB performing at an event called Black and Queer AF last year, and we just had to invite them on the show. Welcome to Genderful, KB. It's wonderful to have you here. Hey, wonderful to be here. So, um, I have a couple questions that I like to ask all of my guests. Um, what are some things you can trace back to your youth that indicated you might be gender diverse or trans one day? Oh, man, I feel like I was dropping hints since birth um, to myself and others, but um, one that feels particularly vivid to me today is probably when I, it was picture day, um, my daycare at the time had a very cheesy picture day, um, and I had to do, my aunt was like doing my hair super tight, so I had these super tight barrettes in, and these like dripless, just like the stiffest fabric that you could ever wear, these little like dresses or whatever. And mm -hmm. I just remember uh, the camera people, cause like, even like when I was super young, I would see men be like, oh, uh, you should smile more to like the women and fins in my family. Um, so then I think someone right behind the camera 
said like you should smile and i just like gave the stiffest line face <laughs> um and it was because i was not happy about my head hurting because my hair was so tight but also just like i just was so over it like I feel like I spent so much of my childhood being like over all of these expectations and mm -hmm. uh, expectations were tied to gender. Like you should cross your legs because that's how girls, you know, sit and all kinds of things like that. So that was probably my first like fossilized over it moment. But yeah. 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 You were like resisting the femme socialization. Like yeah. having none of it. Every turn. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, gosh. I relate to that a lot. It's it's cool that we get to talk about it today. Um so obviously you've gone from being, you know, stiff lipped person at picture day to this wonderful uh bearded individual you are today. What happened between then and now? What how has your relationship to gender evolved over time? Um, it's evolved as I've learned, like as I've been exposed to more uh, possibilities of gender, like over time. So I grew up in a, uh, I guess people would say more or less small town, but I don't think it's a small town. It's like now the fifth, the fifth largest city in Texas. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, at the time it felt like a small town or at least like I knew everybody who knew everybody on our side of town. So I was just like, uh by like the time I graduated senior year, I was like, I'm I'm ready to leave. And mostly it's because I've been seeing the exact same people since sixth grade, like yeah. no new options. But um, so yeah, I think I remember kind of like my first understandings of like queerness coming around like 12. And that was really only through just like seeing um, what folks now would call a stud, right? And being like, oh, like people around her being like, oh, why does she dress like that? And I'm just like interested, like super very deeply interested because I was like, I didn't know we could do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I felt that like same feeling when I uh, went to college and then like went to a couple of meetings. I didn't actually end up joining, but like for at the time, it was like the uh, LGBT alliance or whatever at the college and seeing all of these different types of presentation that people had, like. It was folks that were more femme, right? Folks that were more max, folks that were more androgynous. So I'm just like, yeah, this opens up my realms of like what I thought was possible, right? Because uh, in high school, I thought it was just like, oh, you're, you know, a feminine girl or you're a masculine dude or you're like a feminine boy or like a masculine girl. Like that was like mm -hmm. all of the spectrum, right? Um, and then I saw and was introduced to more spectrums. And then like, as soon as I really knew what non-binary was, like just started hanging out naturally with non-binary people, I was just like, what does that mean? But I knew it was wrong to ask. So then I'm doing all of these internet searches and being like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't know this was a thing. Now that I know it's a thing, this is definitely like what I am, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was just like a constant uh exposure to new information and as I took in that new information it was just like that makes sense um and there's a kind of like hesitancy that I don't quite understand because it's not my experience of like being exposed to new opportunities new possibilities of gender and having the opposite reaction which is like fear or like even like yeah yeah yeah, yeah and I'm like I just never experienced that as soon as I knew about other options I was like 
cool, cool. So it's more ways to be in the world. And I think that's really awesome. And I think like, I wish I would have known that earlier. I always had that kind of um, experience. And then like being around, you know, more binary trans folks and trans non-binary folks, it just like solidified my, you know, relationship to gender today, which I would say is like, if gender, if, if girl is X and a uh, boy is Y, I'm like, probably B. You know, I'm KB actually, um, but yeah, I'm just like, eh, you know, I'm opting out or the language for how I feel about my gender isn't quite accessible yet or isn't quite mm -hmm. created yet, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. But the closest that I could get to it is probably trans, non-binary or um, agender. But yeah. 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 I love that. Um, there's so many things. He keeps saying all these things I can relate to, and then it's my turn to say words, and they all drop out of my brain. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Oh yeah. So one thing that I've that I mentioned on the show kind of often, and um, you you said that you wish that there had been those options had been presented to you sooner, mm -hmm. and I think that that is sort of part of the goal of this talk show is to just talk about what are the options, what's out there like what's available and you're also writing poetry talking about what's out there what's available what are the options and your explorations of those and so i love that you know both of us are doing the work of sharing those mm -hmm. possibility dreams with people of all ages right um so anyway yeah so cool um so let me switch topics let's talk about your poetry when did you start writing poetry and what inspired you to start and what inspires you to keep going? It's sort of a threefold question. I'll pop it in the chat for you to have to reference. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so when I started writing, um, it was kind of on accident, I would say. Um, I got these friends, right? Like I was a perpetually like anxious and like not very like fitting in kid before i knew what queerness was i just knew i didn't fit in right and that was very clear to me and to every other kid that i grew up with in elementary school right um and i would say even in daycare and then i go to middle school right it's my first kind of entry into public schools sorry i'm outing myself as a person that went to private schools until middle school but um yeah i went to public school so lots more um, kids and then also like lots more ridicule right mm -hmm. um and that experience was just a bit rough right because it yeah. was like I already knew amongst like 20 people or 50 people that I didn't fit in now I'm amongst 200 people and I'm sticking mm -hmm. out like um right um so when I did find like-minded people I had to like cling to them and it didn't help that I was very like anxious, like always thinking like two to three steps ahead about like the worst thing that could happen, right? So I didn't really have a friend group, quote unquote, until I would say ninth grade, right? Mm -hmm. um, what I remember of that time, cause you know, memory fails as I get older, but what I remember of that time is that I was still deeply introverted and um, a girl just like came up to me and started talking one day. And then I was just like, yeah, I'm going to talk back. I'm elated that, you know, people are talking to me. And she just decided that she was my friend. And I was like, Aww. oh, okay, we're friends, right? I, I tell people that I got, uh, like, taken up under the wing of an extrovert. Like, an extrovert just, like, <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so then naturally I became friends with all of her friends, right? And they all, and I just like wanted to hang out with these people all the time. I wanted to talk to them on the phone all the time. I remember days waking up, you know, at night, my phone is super hot because I've been on the phone for like, you know, eight hours, right? Um, so those are those kinds of days. And I remember them after school, when I wasn't in band practice, they would go to this thing. And when we weren't in band practice, because all of us eventually were in band, uh, we went to this after school thing called Poetry Society. So like all of my friends were going to it. It was with uh, my Spanish teacher, uh, weirdly enough, Ms. Duran. Um, and yeah, she just had this kind of safe haven for, you know, the weird kids, you know, that all were into poetry and wanted to write poetry. And I just went because my friends went, really, truly. And I didn't really participate probably for at least the first semester. I was just like, yeah, my friends are here. So I'm waiting on them to do their thing. And then I'm going to leave, right? Because band is my thing, right? Um, and then she just would, Ms. Duran would just like always drop these little hints of like, you can participate whenever you'd like to. And like, Here's a pen and paper just in case you decide that you want to, you know, do the writing prompt as well. And I would all just be like, yeah, okay. But then eventually, like, I was like, okay, if I'm going to be here, I might try it. And I tried it and I ended up, I would say, like, being okay at it, right? And like getting that encouragement from Mr. N and from my friends at the time who are all just gay now, which is funny. Um, but we didn't really like know that at the time. Um, but yeah, it's just, it just was life-changing really. Before then, you know, I had a on and off practice of like diary entries, right? Like where I was like writing things down to try to make them not so intense in my head. Cause with like anxiety brain, I just always felt like things were so deep. Like this person didn't talk to me today is cause they hate me. It's cause they found out I was gay and I don't even know what gay is really, but somebody called me that one day. Like I would just be spiraling in my head. So I had to like mm. write it down in order mm -hmm. to like make it feel less intense. And I had been doing that since elementary school, but then I had like ideas and kind of like a framework for this type of, you know, at the time confessional type writing and poetry. So it really intrigued me. And really since I was what, 15, I've been doing it and I didn't really even consider myself a poet until probably like 2019 because um, I had to shed myself of all of these ideas of what a poet was and mm. like really make out space for me where there was none um, in order to really embrace that idea. Um, so what inspired me to start really was just wanting to hang out with my friends. Um, I wish it was more profound than that, but it is not. Um, and what inspires me to keep going is just, like, I know what it gives me. Like, I feel like it's the writing process and the poeting process really is just like a part of my life now. It's like a part of me. So when I'm not doing it, like, I could go like a month or so without writing anything. And I like feel that, like physically and mentally, I feel myself missing something. So really, because it's the longest practice, the longest habit that I've just had in my mm -hmm. life, it's just like a part of me. And even if whatever I write down ends up being hogwash, ends up being like not seen by any um, eyes except me, I feel a sense of accomplishment. I feel a sense of like 
you know, a high once I finish something, once I write it down, um, that just isn't really matched by anything else. So that keeps me going. Um, some things, you know, over time have made me question, like, is this the thing? And like, for years, I took a lot of time trying to do something else because I was like, how am I going to make a career out of writing poetry? Like, it's just not really taught to you as a a thing you can do with your life. But mm. then, I don't know, probably around 2021, 2022, um, actually, yeah, the beginning of 2022 is when I was like, I don't really have to listen to all of these, you know, voices that say I have to do something else. and. I had already worked, you know, like 15 different careers trying to do something else. But then I was like, what if I go all in on myself, all in on the thing that feels most natural to me? So, yeah, I love that. Everything you just said from like having having an extrovert take you under your wing to <laughs> investing in yourself and like chasing your your creative endeavor dream. Doing that. It's it's all so good. Um, I'm really lucky that I got married a couple of years ago and my wife makes enough money that she can pay the mortgage without my income. <laughs> Yay. So I get to do this as my job. It's really cool and weird. That's awesome. It's sort of off the beaten path. You know what I mean? It's like, what do you do? Right. I make art. <laughs> what do you do? Yeah. Exactly. I'm I don't know if this question is written anywhere, but how how has your family responded to you doing this as your work? Like, have you gotten support? Have you gotten pushback? Have you just not told them at all? <laughs> I could explain what I do, but they're not going to understand. It's like, yeah. like podcasters and with people who do like, you know, freelance slash like those kind of unconventional non nine to five type jobs. I feel like... Mm -hmm it's probably constant like trying to explain what you do to somebody and them just not understanding it because it's outside of the confines of what people tell you is a job right and admittedly since the fall I have also been a student so I'm like mm -hmm. half and half like this writer and that's my job and then the other half is being a teaching assistant and a student right cool um so yeah you know trying to mold young minds and also trying to get this degree so I can go and just be a writer. But for nine months solid, I was just a writer. And I was like, why didn't I do this earlier? Um, but yeah. Um, Augie in the chat is saying, God bless the extroverts who adopt us. <laughs> <laughs> we need them. We need them in the world. They are the change, you know? Well, and, you know, you need an extrovert who thinks of others enough, right? Some extroverts are just very self-involved, right. but some are not. Um, I actually am an extrovert. I feel like a rare bird because almost all of my friends are introverts. Um, it's very cute. Uh, a moment ago, also, um, Distriplica said, poetry is always about hanging out with your friends. Oh, soft, squishy bruise, overripe emotional resonance. Hello. Yeah, there's a lot of we have a lot of a lot of self-employed artists here today yeah. grooving on our chats. Um awesome. So KB, how do you use your poetry as a form of activism? Mm. So that's an interesting thing as well. So I feel like 
with activism, when you are born with a certain set of circumstances, you don't really have a choice in the matter of whether or not you'll be an activist. It's just kind of a thing that you're going to have to do. And I am a Black, queer, and trans person who lives, and disabled person who lives in Texas, all right? Mm -hmm. When I tell people that, they usually are like, like, they feel bad for me. (laughs) Uh, That tells you, like, what the state of, you know, America and Texas and all of the other identities that I've shared, like, are. Like, simply put, like, when I walk into a space, into the ivory towers of my university, into the poetry community, into any of that, I walk into those spaces knowing, unless it's like Black and queer specific, that is not going to be made for me, right? Mm-hmm. So that takes a level of like, you have enough negative experiences or like you have enough like realizations like, oh, in the creation of this, I was not thought of to where you either have to do something or you suffer in silence or you hope that like the people that are, you know, doing something and are in the privileged place enough to do something like will think of you. Right. Um, so, I mean, around probably college time, um, I was a more, I realized like, you know, and I already knew I was kind of like in this minority space when I just thought I was like odd. Right. But then, you know, going into middle school, then all of a sudden people call me gay. Right. And the D word specifically. Right. And I'm just like, I, even, I literally don't even know what that is. Um, and, but I know it's bad because of the way that you're saying mm, Yeah. 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 Way that people respond when you say that to me, right? So like from middle school to high school, I knew that I was, you know, on the outskirts, even though I went to a high school with all black kids, maybe like 2%, you know, not that, right? So I wasn't the minority race wise, but I was a minority like gender and sexuality wise. And also like with neurotypical stuff, right? I'm not processing information in the same way that others are. Um, so there's like a level of picking on for that too. So it was just a lot going on. And then I go to college and I'm like, all right, so I'm a minority within a minority. Uh, the college that I went to was something like 70% white, right? And then the black population was maybe something like 4%. And the black population in the city that I live in actually is 4% currently. So it's like, I've I've been in these situations pretty constantly since I was 18 to where I'm like, it's not that you didn't even think about me. It's that like when this was created, when this structure was created, I didn't, I wasn't even seen as a human to people. Right. So in that I was put in the like requirement of doing activism. Right. And then on top of that, because I have the identities that I have, people are always going to read into my poetry with a tinge of activism, like whether I want that or not. I could write a poem Mm. about flowers and people are going to be like, this is about Blackness. (laughs) Like, this is about being in America and X, Y, and Z. Like, people, and in pretty much every, you know, situation that I've been in, I've seen a lot of like, what does it mean to be a Black writer? But you're not asking white people, what does it mean to be a white writer? Because they want And they expect you to have a kind of like activist tinge to you because you are an other, right? right? So I wanted to like kind of frame this question with like, it wasn't a choice, right? And then number two, I do, however, and I have, however, learned to 
lean into, you know, activism and lean into learning as much as I can about the world of activism and about the world of poetics as it pertains to the identities I have in others. Because I think when I have that knowledge, I can use it to like the effects that I want to use it, right? Um, I probably, hmm, I'm trying to think how long ago, it's like blanking on me, but like I took a kind of class on, you know, art-based activism. Actually, actually, no, it wasn't a class on that, but I took a Black Studies class in undergrad, and we were talking about the Black arts movement, mm. um, and I was just really captivated by the ways in which those artists, poets, painters, photographers, thespians, like all of them were using their art in order to say something about the times in which they were living in, and you can't, you can't talk about the civil rights movement without talking about the Black arts movement, because it's like, the art was saying something and was a active part of the movement, like as much as, you know, the Montgomery bus boycotts of the things and as much as the, you know, Black Panther things, right? Like art was a part of that, right? And because of the Black arts movement, even like our current artistic landscape is forever changed, right? Like people were not interested in, you know, indigenous art and Black art and queer art, right? Before those communities had to like make it a priority, right? So we owe a lot to the Black Arts Movement and the current like artistic landscape. But um, yeah, I was learning about the Black Arts Movement and I became just like really interested in thinking about my art as a tool in movement spaces um, because, you know, and I've tried because I've been like a nonprofit, you know, uh, management in a ma nonprofit management role before. I've also done like the more kind of like direct organizing stuff. I don't think that's the way that I um, can effectively like um, engage with the current moment, but I know what I can do, which is like use these poetic tools, whether it be rhyme, repetition, meter, form, sound, etc in order to say something, because let me tell you also, it's so much easier to get people to an open mic than it is to get them to a political rally, right? Mm -hmm. In that way, artists are in this space where they have the have the choice. I mean, like, I even have a Telfar bag with me right now. You probably can't see it. Um, we did for a moment. And I would not have that if, if it wasn't for Beyonce, you know what I mean? Like, artists are in a place where they can influence people to do things. So why not me as an artist, why not use that to my advantage, right? Why yeah. not talk about the things that people will not be otherwise exposed to, right? Yeah. The trans folks are not pulling up unless they extra hateful. They're like not pulling up to the political rally for trans rights. You know, the mm -hmm. people that actually like need to hear that information are not pulling up but they will randomly go to a bookstore, see a book cover that they like, pick up the book, thumb through it. And then all of a sudden they're immersed in this black trans world that I'm creating. Mm, yeah. So anyway, I use my poetry um, as a form of activism in you know any way that I possibly can, in the ways that I speak really, and like who I'm addressing in the poem, that's one way. Another way is like, making sure that I'm collaborative in my poetry. Like I started poetry in a collaborative space, like me and my friends, right? Mm -hmm. So I really never try to veer away from that. Like even in the current times, like I am the poet I am because I have my group of friends, right? That I have. And because I immerse my space in like online uh, literary communities. So I try to like stay plugged into those things as well. Um, 
uh, I've done a couple of uh, projects with a uh, arts organization called Interfaces out in Austin that I started with some friends, um, did a couple of like zine projects. So like it was art, it was photography, it was poetry, you know, in these zines that are still available at local bookstores and coffee shops and things like that on, you know, politically charged sub subjects like uh, we did one on the carceral state and we also did one on uh, surveillance um, from uh, police uh, unions and things like that. Um, and yeah, like then uh, all of the proceeds that we made from those, if anyone gave us like $5 or so for a zine, like went to organizations, um, black run organizations or organizations that were working towards like environmental justice. Um, I also did a thing with some friends called the Winter Storm Project, which is about um, in 2021, Texas had a really severe winter storm that left a lot of people without power and water and things like that. And they just like expected us to like move on with our lives and like act like that didn't happen, right? Yeah. So then I was like uh, accepting um, with my friends, uh, we created this thing called the Winter Storm Project where we did workshops on like environmental writing um, environmental art making and you know made it into this book um, that we then had like proceeds go to different places so I'm like I'll make a book out of anything you know I don't need a <laughs> I don't need a press to give me you know permission to do that um, I think that like having I've never been to for instance like a march or an activist kind of moment without like chance or without like signage, without like mm -hmm. some kind of art present in some way. So I'm like, if I could give you like a little pamphlet to where you can learn more about it through a poem about like what you're, you know, activating around, um, why not do that? So I've like also done those kinds of things in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. Um, okay. I have like four threads. I want to see if I can tug in a row. Um, <laughs> I totally agree with you that just existing as trans and disabled people, and then for you also throwing in being a person of color, like the powers that be make our identities political because then you have these like white spaces that are like, you know, oh, we don't want to get political here. And it's like, what you're saying is you don't want diversity here. <laughs> like you don't want anyone who's different from you. Um, and, you know, there was a, there was a moment in my streaming career where I used to have a no politics rule because I didn't want to argue with like anti-trans, like Republican people about mm -hmm. my identity. I was not interested in that discourse. I, I am not a debate bro. I'm not a debate they, like, that's not my, that's not my path. <laughs> I'm more focused on like comfy, cozy love and support within my communities, as opposed to like getting out there and fighting with people. That's not my favorite vibe um but i quickly realized uh we need to talk about politics because our body our bodies are politicized right our beings our existence is politicized and so i, I actually did have to shift that rule around um so yeah yeah and it, it's you make such a good point about like oh like you're not asking the white writer what their what is their white perspective on xyz because there's this assumption that the white perspective is the official perspective or whatever and that's like so wrong <laughs> makes me so angry i'm smiling but it's because i don't know how to be angry yet i'm still learning how to be angry um yeah that's a whole a whole trans mask journey in and of itself right there um so i also just want to mention that there are multiple 
texts and trans people in the Twitch chat right now who are all like super excited. One of them even said like, oh my gosh, I saw these works that KB is talking about. That's so cool that you were involved with that. Um, so so I do have some questions from the chat. I'm going to pick the, the simpler one first. So you've mentioned a couple of books and projects you've worked on. Um, besides poetry, what other forms of art do you do? I can think of at least one. So I know I'm not, I'm not throwing you a total nothing question. Yes. So um, I have lots of opinions about everything. So uh, a dear friend of mine once told me, you should just start writing essays. So <laughs> last year, I actually started like publishing those essays and I would call myself a creative nonfiction writer. Um, the things that I mostly do in the creative nonfiction realm are personal essays about things like blackness, transness, um, being disabled, fatness, things like that. Um, and also cultural criticism. Um, I've gotten into book reviews lately. I'm loving that. Just having like some kind of, and I like a merge of the two as well. Like something that is not necessarily like identifiable as just a personal essay. Like it's also cultural criticism. Um, Cause I may be talking about a film, but I'm also talking about how it affects me as a black trans person and how these things kind of like bleed over into real life. So that's kind of like my, my personal interest. Um, I'm allegedly also writing a memoir that comes out next year. I'm called allegedly. Pretty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is uh, about black trans masculinity. Um, a lot of my personal experiences, but a lot of like just chronicling things that have happened in Texas and in the world um, that have, you know, trickled down into my life and the life of folks that I love. So that's one other thing that I do artistically. Another thing which is super new um, is trying to do exhibition work. Um, so I have a book called Freedom House um, coming out this year. I also will have my first museum exhibition um, called Freedom House, also uh, an exhibition. Um, and that'll be coming out with a uh, local to me a museum. And it'll just be like me kind of actually bringing some of the book's elements to life. Like I use the metaphor of a house to kind of talk about like what internal freedom has been like for me, you know, during my like medical and social transition, right? And I also talk about um, interpersonal freedom. Like how do we get free like in our friend groups and in our like mm. love relations? Um, and then also like the more systemic wide um, freedom. So I use like a house, like a bedroom and a foyer and a living room and like what kind of conversations happen in those different rooms. Um, so I'm like gonna make an exhibit out of it. Um, so that's like super new. We'll see what happens there. But so far, those are the other artistic rounds that I um, operate in. But I also am just a lover of art, like all things art and culture. So I'm always at a local comedy show. I'm always at a local like, you know, uh, play. I love that kind of stuff at the movies. Um, so I, I consume a lot of art, um, probably more, even more so. Like I read books. I was just reading an audio book actually on my way to my desk where I'm talking to you now. Um, but yeah, I consume a lot of art and make the things that I make, but yeah. Um, I'm gonna have us take our three minute break. It's actually gonna be uh, four minutes and 37 seconds. So we can re-listen to How to Identify with Wound which is one of your poems. Um, folks who are listening and watching, um, 
you're not going to hear this in the recorded version later. You're going to have to go listen to it on Spotify directly, but the link is going to be in the description. Go favorite it, drop some follows, and we're getting a ton of positive feedback from your your poem, KB. Um, clapping, lots of clapping. We're doing standing ovation in our hearts, even though we're disabled <laughs> and must sit down because tired. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Um, my brain is going so many directions. So let's see. Um, I'm going to ask the questions from the chat and then we have many more to share. So um, the house, also known as just Triplica, asks a few. Um, when you say write your emotions down, do you mean that physically or do you type things? Do you have a preference? And then the other is more a personal question. Are you an MFA student? How are you liking it? I just got accepted into one. Do you want any poetry recommendations? So tag your it. Yes. So I do write both physically and type things. Um, generally, my practice right now, and this answer is probably going to be different as time goes on because it changes as the days change. But right now, my process is like I do mostly journaling physically. Like I have like a little notebook that I take with me everywhere. And then I transfer that to uh, my computer. And then as I'm transferring it, that like continues the writing process for me. And when I feel like something is like good enough <laughs> to like make it to type, then, you know, I feel like it then becomes like a poem. But before that, if it's in my journal, it is just like a diary entry or a to-do list. Um, and yes, I am an MFA student. I am liking it so far. I'm in my second semester out of six because um, my program is three years. Um, and yay for you getting accepted into one. And Poetry Rex, so I have a like very long to read list um, that is always kind of going. But if you ever want to talk poetry and talk about the things that we're reading, I am down. But yeah. Awesome. Um, so great. Um, so in your poem, so now we have a few questions that Juice wrote after reading your book. Um, in your poem, Break Up With Your Gender, I'm Bored, um, you referenced The Real Housewives of Atlanta and you posted on Instagram about a few podcasts that influenced your work in Freedom House. What other media has inspired your poetry? Yeah, um, good question. I am a super consumer of media uh, and of art and of like cultural kind of like artifacts. I like most of my time online is probably just like Wikipedia because I just love knowing stuff. Um, but yeah, I would say that it changes book to book. It changes thing to thing. Um, but I think a constant throughout my entire creative life has been like getting inspiration from other types of media and putting that inspiration into my poetry I think it makes it more like alive when you're kind of living in the world as well as writing about it um and for Freedom House in particular I think I like named podcasts I named uh music artists I named like other writers that like were really helpful in the process with how to identify um I also have a playlist um based on uh, how to identify yourself with a wound um that is just like music i was listening to in the time that i was writing it and some of that music may have like a more overt like reference like there's also a uh a poem in there that is like after a frank ocean song called solo um and there's also like more like covert references like the uh, real housewives of atlanta i didn't necessarily like take a you know phrase or something from it but it's like definitely like you don't necessarily have to know the references but i'm like alluding to them like in my similes and things 
Um, so yeah, like a wide array of things, TV shows, movies, um, music. I try to like just stay up on all that stuff, um, compulsively looking things up. I like to go to the local gay bars just to like know what people are talking about. Like, cause I'm an introvert. I've spent so much of my life listening. So, you know, it's just my primary mode of like how I exist, but then also like how, how my writing ends up turning out, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my next question is in upon hearing the news about Tony McDade, Lily, Polani, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and Mike Ramos, you explain the tiring cycle of events that occurs over and over where there's news of a black person being killed by the cops. What do you, what do you think, um, folks can do as individuals and as a society to break this cycle? Uh, and what is the best way that non-Black people can respond and take action when this happens? Right, right. Um, I feel like so many solutions are already out there. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. there are just not people willing to listen to them. Mm -hmm. I won't, like, act as if I'm, like, a sociologist or, like, a psychologist or, like, a lawyer or, like, any of the other people um, that have, like, done extensive research on this topic. But I think, like, abolishing the prison industrial complex is one part of it, right? Um, I am like a person that believes that there is a world that is much better than the one that we currently live in if we mm -hmm. just like actually take interest in finding it. And I say we as in the people that are supposed to represent us, right, um, in legislative houses, um, but also the companies that have like way too much say in like what these things look like, right? Um, companies yeah. kind of like uh, taking... Um, and this is not conspiracy, this is a thing that can be looked up, but like companies are kind of like taking the place of humans, right, that are supposed to be represented and are um, able, unfortunately, in the United States to lobby for their own special interests. And that special yeah. interest in the day is money, like most capital, right, for-profit businesses. Um, yeah. So it's like, if your ulterior motive is money, why are you being like treated as if you are human and like you, we have politicians that basically if they had like if they had to brand themselves like they would just be covered in stickers you know um because they have all of these different types of ulterior motives all of these promises that they've made to businesses and those promises because those promises come with money are taking kind of precedent over you know actual humans like you and me mm -hmm. um and the planet, I mean, it ain't even just affecting humans. It's also affecting the planet. It's also affecting animals, right? Yeah. Um, so it's this really amazing organization out here um, called People in Defense of uh, the Earth and Her Resources. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot about like how we are also depleting the planet of what it needs in order to survive, because there will be a planet regardless of if we're here. But do we want to be here like long term? I don't really like think the way that they, okay. I'm not going to like get on my whole soapbox because I know we don't have a lot of time. Left. <laughs> but um, my answer. I have, I have as much time as you do, KB. <laughs> okay, cool. My real answer is like, we have so many answers. Like there have been so many panels. There have been so many black writers, like, you know, me included, writing about these topics. I mean, Freedom House, really a whole section of it is dedicated to things like reproductive justice, things like police brutality, things like, hey, um, Republicans and Democrats, what is going on with that, right? And like capitalism, like there's so much 
information out there, I think we have to, and I would say like non-Black people, because some people are simply just never going to listen to me because I have this skin that I have, right? Mm -hmm. um, so recognizing that privilege and being able to be in rooms, right? And, and occupying those rooms that I'm not in, whether those be familial discussions or, you know, legislative ones or ones at companies, right? Um, to relay those solutions and get people like hold people's you know uh faces to the fire i guess is the idiom to get them to actually change things and making sure that you know along with that pressure um putting on like the legislative body because the legislative thing is not the only thing that needs to change like if policy changes but like we don't change the way that we treat each other then like it's all kind of null and void so like it's that cultural change. Like I think about the times in which someone said something messed up to me or that I had those times that I've had something anti-Black happen. And when there's been somebody else there that is not Black or not queer that has interrupted that from happening. Like we need more of that, even if it's uncomfortable, like non-Black people putting themselves in situations where they're interrupting these kind of like cultural standards that we currently have, which are, anti-blackness and you know anti-asian sentiments and you know uh xenophobia is a really big thing right now you know all of that um so in a case against loneliness you talk about the interconnectedness of all things all beings do you have any suggestions for how to embody this knowing especially as a way to combat loneliness yeah um that is such a woo-woo poem i think i like even reference <laughs> in that poem um and yeah uh i spent so much of my and that poem comes out of like this like spending so much of my life feeling like i was lonely but then being like yeah i'm never lonely a because it's always people like me that exist maybe they don't exist in my like current landscape my current field of vision but even like once i got my first group of friends it's like y'all have always been here we just like had to have time to find each other and then I also think mm -hmm. about like humans are not the only thing that exists in the world we also have animals we also have trees like there have been times where I've literally just lost track of time because I'm looking at the way like that like a certain wave like hits you know uh, a piece of pavement or something like that that's beautiful and I want that to be cherished more and I know because we're living in such a like go 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 time right late stage capitalism <laughs> like yeah. people are not really encouraged to take time to actually like look around them you know when you on a walk from point a to point b have you considered like just looking at what is existing around you I think that's that's beautiful and I encourage and hopefully this poem is trying to encourage people like who feel this type of loneliness that is really familiar to me and had had been like you know just the especially when I was in girl mode you know like just the default of like my life right when you feel that profound loneliness like is there a way that you can look forward at the things happening around you or look for because there's never there's never an instance where that you are the only one thinking the thoughts that you have, you are the only one that is like you in the world. I mean, trans people for long periods of time have, have felt like they are the only ones. But, you know, you have things like this podcast and you have things like, you know, these books that people are writing and they're writing towards you, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think I became a person that was so like consumptuous of media because it almost like filled in the gaps for me for a long time. So yeah, like, I mean, my suggestions would literally be to just like slow down, <laughs> um, like regardless of what, you know, society is telling you like slow down and look, right? And when you look, I think you'll find exactly what you need to find in order to combat that loneliness. Um, so can you tell us about your upcoming memoir, Pretty? Um, yes, I can't say too much because technically I'm still in the uh, throes of editing it, but that's fair. Um, so, so interesting. Yeah, I started writing nonfiction last year, um, in a quote unquote serious way and getting it like published. Um, but I feel like I've been technically writing nonfiction since I've been writing diary entries, which has been like since I was seven. Right, writing these little narratives about like this person said this to me today and I'm gonna randomly put it in dialogue and act as if like I'm a third party to like my life. Like I've been doing that for a while. Nice. <laughs> but pretty is and it starts like literally at like my mom finding out she was pregnant, right? Um, starts at that very first instance of what I think is like gender initiation right as soon as someone tells you it's a girl or it's a boy the process of putting you into gender role starts mm -hmm. right so it's going from and i won't say it's doing that linearly but the memoir is going from that place to going to like what current day kb's like understanding of gender is and it's talking about the liminal space that is not um i believe represented enough in current literary and other media which is like trans masculine narratives that talk about when that transness comes with also blackness right mm -hmm. because there's this sense of um with the kind of like larger trans mass narrative of like oh i went from a place of like you know being looked at as dainty and you know like i you know, I'm like this small being, to now I have privilege and now women hate me and et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. When you go in the very binary, like FTM, right? Yeah. But I'm like, so what if people thought you were a black girl? You never had that, like, uh, you know, you never had that default setting of dainty, right? There are many people yeah. in the world who don't regard black girls that way, um, yeah. especially in US soil, right? So I didn't have that, you know, this to this type of transition. And I yeah. found it very jarring when I, you know, in my 22 plus year old self started this physical, like medical transition. Um, and I found it so stark. It just went from like one set of violence to another, literally based on like overnight. All right. My voice is deeper. Now people are treating me differently and it's palpable, like... I can feel it in the air, right? I can feel it in the air, the difference between how I've been treated due to this hair on my face and the deepness of my voice and my flat chest, right? And it's also going from one side of the aisle to another of people still misunderstanding you because I'm also not a binary trans person, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just talking about 
I think the memoir is talking about all of those intricacies of experience and the ways that we box each other in based on something so silly as how we look and how we like move around our hands and how we move our the rest of our bodies and how we sound, right? People gender you even when they can't see you on the phone, right? Yeah. So it's like just talking about and pointing out those ways of gendering and the, the violence of the experience, like both overt and covert violence of the experience of gendering and like thinking about other ways of being, um, I think. And thinking about with Blackness and transness and masculinity all on top of each other, like where is the space in the world um, for Black trans masculine people? Because it can't just be in my mind. It can't just continue to be that way, right? Um, or it can't just be relayed to the confines of like friend groups. Like I'm wanting something in the world and we should all want a place in the world where we can like be our 100% selves, right? Um, and where we can't, you know, walk on some random pavement and have to think like, it's possible that I'm walking on top of someone's grave because of the mm. way that America is set up, right? Yeah. Like yeah. because of the way that it was created. Um, so yeah, just thinking about, you know, my own origin story and thinking about events in the world and the very, you know, unfortunate ways that we harm each other to, I guess, like get to this like normal, right? Yeah. And intending also with my real want for a long time to be normal and like learning over time to not want that, even though everything in the world wants me to want that. Um, so someone in the chat has pre-ordered your book. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to remind everybody else, if you would like to pre-order the book, the link is pinned. It's also in the description. Um, if you use the, uh, store.vellum.org link products forward slash freedom dash house, um, that one is going to get you 20% off if you participate during the pre-order period. Um, so KB, what are some of the non-monetary ways people can support your work? If there's folks here who maybe don't have jobs or don't have income, but they are excited about what you're up to, what are some other other ways they can support you? Yes. Um, so one easy way is if you have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, um, just follow me. Just like interact with my posts because um, these apps be trying to shadow ban trans people all the time. So in order for my stuff to actually pop up on people's feeds, people have to engage with my posts. And those yeah. posts, you know, are at the end of the day because I'm an independent artist, my livelihood. So like sharing those posts, saving those posts, following me, you know, commenting. Did I already say commenting? Like all of those things, free yeah. 99. And I really, really like, appreciate because it helps more than you know you know mm -hmm. the difference between whether i get booked or not a lot of the times like my visibility um and also if you want to keep up with my updates or and you're not like a social media person i also have a newsletter that goes out yes. once a month um earth to kb.substack.com and it's just updates on me and also like essays that you know for some reason don't fit the current literary epoch so I like just talk about it for free um, on my newsletter. That's awesome. Oh, and also, sorry, uh, other ways. 
Um, you can stream my poetry EP also for free. Like it's available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, iTunes, all of those things um, to stream for completely free. Again, it helps with visibility. Um, and also I have so much work, <laughs> so much work for free that is just available to read online. So even if, you know, for some reason you can't pre-order my book, if you go to my website and go under the poems page or the prose page or videos, you can see so much archived material of my work that is available to just click online. You also look very handsome on your Substack photo. Side note, I just dropped you a follow on there while you were talking. Because um, I found your socials, but I didn't know about your Substack. So now I'm on there too. Hooray. I look forward to getting some monthly KB in my inbox. Um, so, okay. I lost my questions, but I know I have one more, at least. Um, so my last sort of regular interview question is, what advice can you give to people who want to start making their own poetry? Advice. Um, it's so funny to give advice because I feel like I had to unlearn a lot of advice in order mm. to become a writer. But um, I'm going to try to be the person that you don't have to unlearn in this moment. So what I would say is, the only difference between you and me is that I like wrote something down, right? And then I like shared it with others. So think of poetry less as like a profession in the capitalist sense and think of it as you getting to know yourself and getting to know the things around you better, right? So only difference between me and you right now is a notebook, right? where you can write things down or a empty Google Doc, whatever your preference is, to write things down, to refine them over time. Um, I would say get connected with your local library, wherever that is for you. Um, I'm usually like the places that I found the most beautiful and like where I could just let my curiosity run free are local libraries. I think they are a relic and one of the very cool things that don't ask for money that we have left get a library card check out some books mm. some poetry books right some books that talk about the craft of poetry as well as just other poetry books and when something is cool to you like when you really like something that someone said um, a thing i still do to this day is like underline or like if you can't write in the book obviously like you know copy it somewhere and be like how can i do that with my own spin on it right that person did a really cool simile there or that person had a cool metaphor how can i do that because you can nothing is stopping you from being able to do you know what chaucer or whatever the um i was gonna cuss but like Shakespeare <laughs> or whatever it did um like you just write it like my whole writing practice like wouldn't exist if i didn't like also read and consume other things and that gave me ideas right so like just, you know, for the free at first, right? Like try to just get your, you know, your feet wet. And then I would also, if you want to go the extra mile and take a class on something, you don't have to have a degree in poetry in order to be a poet. I still believe that. Um, go and do that. Um, I would say go to a program that pays you to go, or at least like doesn't charge you a arm and a leg and a uterus or whatever to go, right? Mm -hmm um and yeah like find people in your local literary community i've been hard-pressed to find a city that doesn't have at least an open mic like go introduce yourself to people right go up to people when you like their stuff like 
really poetry is I think a community thing and it's always mm. that way in the you know tradition of poetry before we had the written word we had songs that people were singing poems and they were singing it in chorus with other people so you know go and find other like-minded people and I think you'll be good yeah um so all I have left for my three questions that I always ask all of my guests is there anything about your poetry that you'd like to make sure you say anything about these topics about writing and getting your creative works out in the world yeah i mean the business of poetry is a whole separate thing right like submissions and all of that yeah. stuff um so if you have any questions about that side of things you know give me a ring um you got my uh y'all at least should have a link to my website i'm happy to like share any perspective that i can that would be useful on that i try to give affordable classes every now and then on the business of poetry i've been doing that like once a year for the past number of years at least since 2020 mm -hmm. um and like when people have essays which like all of you people who share your opinions for free on twitter right y'all have ideas that could be turned then into personal essays or cultural criticism you probably just have to find figure out a way to um put it in this mold so it could be a pitch email to an editor at team vogue literally that's just like what i started doing last year so if you have questions about it i have actually a free essay um not free it is a uh essay pitching class coming up with an organization called the writers league of texas it's $115 to non-members and I think $59 to members of Writers League of Texas. Um, if that for some reason isn't a price point that you can make, email me. Cool. Um, I just snagged your contact us link to put in the show notes as well. Um, so if folks want to contact you, they can. Um, all right. So can you share an experience with gender euphoria? I like to put some some joy and some hope at the end of these interviews. Oh, yes. Um, one that happened probably recently is getting my legal name and gender marker changed. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm super excited about it. So now I don't have to like be stressed when I give people my ID. So that's definitely euphoria. I love that. Congratulations. That's a big deal. Um, I changed my name before, before the, before the X markers were available. So I had to go change my ID a second time to get my gender marker updated. And so my marker is sort of, it's still wrong on my passport, but we'll get there someday. <laughs> um, okay. Final question. What would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary or trans issues? Like if you had a 30 second soapbox. What is the thing you want to make sure people hear from you? Uh, gender is a social construct. Do what you want. Um, be gay and do crimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's only a crime because the people in power don't want you to have fun. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I love that. Well, Kibi, this has been a complete and total delight having you here today. Um, I hope you you can feel the enthusiasm from the audience as well. Um, lots of hype, emotes, and gayness happening in the chat. Thank we'll you. do the we'll do the pride confetti just for you. Um, <laughs> I like to remind people that even though it's digital in my mind, it's biodegradable <laughs> because you know the Earth needs biodegradable confetti. 
So friends, you can find KB's works on earthtokb.com. KB is a Black queer trans poet, essayist, and cultural worker from Texas. Um, you can also pre-order that wonderful book on uh, called Freedom House from deepvellum.org. And if you use this link right here, you'll get 20% off. Um, take a moment to drop a follow on Spotify if you haven't yet, so you can hear more of that wonderful uh, poetry set to music that we've been hearing on Starting Soon and Be Right Back. And uh, if you'd like to contact KB, there is a contact page on KB's website. Um, and there's also a super cool Substack you can go check out and get monthly mailings. Is there anything else you want to make sure we mention? Let's see, your socials, of course. Um, Earth to KB on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Now, is there anything else you want to make sure we mention for a cross promo before we wrap? No, I think that's good. You know, pre-order Freedom House if you can, or check out those free ways to support me. I super appreciate you. Um, folks, KB, you have a clatter query for us that we're going to post on our socials. Do you want to ask your question? Yes. Um, what does freedom look like to you? I'd love to know. I love that. Let us know, folks, with our with our clutter query. Um, next week's guest is going to be Angel Patterson, and we are discussing Lavender Rights Project, an organization that supports and uplifts the Black, intersex, and gender-diverse community in Washington State. Um, that's it for community updates. I hope you all have enjoyed this episode, and um, please enjoy our fancy, shiny new outro as well. Jennifer would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. If you'd like to catch us live, join us on Mondays at twitch.tv forward slash gendermaster. Show notes will appear in the edited version of the show on Fridays on both YouTube and podcasting platforms. If you have a question you would like the host to answer or are gender diverse and would like to request an interview, please send an email to genderfulpodcast at gmail.com or sign up via the website at genderfulpodcast.com. As a gender diverse community, The Clatter wants to assure our listeners that we are prepared to moderate our spaces. We will get positive and negative feedback on these shows and topics, and we have a moderation team on our channels, socials, and Discord server ready to deal with this. Please join our Discord server at discord.gg forward slash meowster to meet the community and get a regular digest of solidarity resources. You can also support us with subscriptions on Patreon, following and reviewing us on your favorite podcasting platform are engaging with our posts and content on social media at genderfulpod and at gendermeowster. You can take a few moments to also rate the show. We will post any five-star reviews on our socials, so get creative. Mention a special interest of your own, a project you're working on, or even say hi to your comfort person in your review. What pawa. This show is made possible by volunteers, tips, and subscriptions. Shout out to the folks helping us coordinate guests, edit the podcast, moderate the live chat, and post on our socials. Artist credit for Jennifer. Jennifer's theme song is called Hope by Free Range Megs, aka Soma. The Gender Meowster logo was designed by That's Barnaby and edited with consent by Trans Griffin. Jennifer's pre-show is wrangled by Juice Tex. Genderful is edited and mixed by Trans Griffin and Alexis Vandom. Genderful's social media is managed by Queer to Help. 
Genderful is hosted by Atlas O. Phoenix and Gender Master. Genderful is the intellectual property of Gender Master. All rights reserved. Trans, Trans rights, rights are human, human rights. rights. That's right. right.